1 Kings uh, chapter 2, 1 through 4. Uh, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statues, statutes, uh, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he has spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. All right. Very good. Well, it is good to see everybody today. Thanks, bud. Um, Joanne, her sugar got a little low, and so we're getting some peanut butter and some juice, and she's going to feel better real soon. I do know a little bit about diabetes, know more about that than I do preaching, so there we go. Um, in my comfort zone. So uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, and we have several visitors uh, with us today, so my name is Dan, uh, or Daniel, as you guys know me. Everybody outside of church pretty much knows me as Dan, but I still think, Randy still thinks it's weird, but... Um, but, uh, so I'm not the normal preacher here. Uh, Monty is out in California. He and Sheree are on a vacation. And so I am filling in. Um, when I agreed to fill in, I, no, I did not know that I was starting a new quarter teaching today. Uh, no, I don't normally teach Bible class and then preach as well. Um, so we're uh, going to borrow some of our quarter's material and, and today spend some time talking about um, some things that are pertinent to our, to our quarter in the adult class in the men's class uh, together. Um, but thank you all for being here. Like I said, we do, I do see several visitors. So if you're visiting with us, thank you sincerely for being here. Um, I, I, I say this occasionally when I get up here, but it is really, really encouraging to us to have all of our folks from the HT um, who are here, uh, to those of you who are visiting from the community, who are traveling from out of town. It's just really, really nice to have people here and new people that we don't know and um, inject life into our church family here. So thank you all for being here um, and, and spending some time with us today. What we are going to talk about um, today is, uh, I, we're going to start with a question, and I, I, because I'm not a preacher, I'm going to ask some questions of the group, and we'll uh, inter, you know, have some interaction a little bit, I think. But we'll start with this, this simple question. Who was King David? Who was he? What was he like? Um, what did he do? What's his story? What? No, I love it. It's like going to take all day to tell that story. It would take all day. We're going to tell it in like 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> so we're going to tell his story today. So, but who was he? I mean, that's a real question. Son of Jesse, right? We'll define him by his lineage, by his family. Okay. We don't know much about Jesse, but he was from that, that family. Had a bunch of brothers. We know that, right? Man after God's own heart, right? We hear that all the time. David, the man after God's own heart. That is like the greatest title ever. You know, that's like way better than, um, you know, Alexander the Great or something. Um, John, what you got? Yeah, it, 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 almost, it, it, it would almost be more appropriate to call him King David. Still a man after God's own heart, right? If we could give him that moniker, it would actually be a better thing. Um, But yeah, he was, in spite of this really messed up life, we're going to talk about that today, he was a man after God's own heart. 
And think about where you can put the, the emphasis there. A man after God's own heart. A man after God, God's own heart. After his heart. He had the heart like God. Man, that's high praise. David is a lot of things. Like he is, he is a really, really complicated guy. Okay, that's the first thing that we're going to acknowledge. And the other thing that we're going to kind of openly talk about, and we're going to use this for our quarters class as well, uh, for, for, for the men that are studying together out here, is we have this huge swath of text on David. You know, we talked about in Genesis how we have from chapters 13, or I'm sorry, 37 to 50. That's all about Joseph, right? And the Joseph story. We've got more text than that on David. We've got like 20-something chapters on King David. So we get this really deep look at this very complicated guy. And we can learn a lot from him. And that's what we're going to try to do this quarter and today as we go over some things. I want you to think with me about who he was and what he looked like. Um, he started as a shepherd in a field, right? Shepherds were like the creme de la creme. You went to shepherd school and, you know, that got your PhD in shepherding, right? They were the educated, the wealthy, all those things, right? Of course not. This was at the bottom of the socioeconomic status, right? So he was a shepherd, isolated, the youngest of eight boys, okay? Sugar's better, I can tell. Um, so um, he learned to fight. He learned to lead. He learned to be alone. He saw nature for what it was. He was a dancer. I, that, I, I wasn't sure what to put up there, because, I, I, but that kind of looks like dancing. You know, David was a dancer. Before the entire nation of Israel, this guy got down because he was so excited. He was a dancer. He was demonstrative in his um, displays of emotion. He didn't hold back when he was dancing before the Lord, as it was in this case. He was a musician and an artist. He didn't play, you know, the electric, uh, you know, the electric guitar or the drums. He chose the, lar the, the lyre, a harp, a larp. Um, he, he chose, you know, th this instrument and, you know, played beautiful music. We're going to read about. He was an artist. Um, he was strong. He wrestled bears and lions with his bare hands. He was a poet. Wrote volumes and volumes and volumes of poetry and prayers that became the songbook of Israel. He was complicated. He had moments of weakness, machismo gone awry. We talked about that a little bit today in our auditorium class. He was broken. He slipped into, you know, kind of this base. I see that, I want that, and I'll kill you to get it. Sexuality turned uh, the wrong way. And through it all, he was a man who sought God. And is described, as John said, as a man after God, God's own heart, and still a man after God's own heart, in spite of all of his brokenness, in spite of his complexity. This quarter in our class, um, for, for those that weren't in the auditorium this morning, we're, we're taking a deep dive looking at what, what, what I'm calling kind of uh, the case for biblical uniqueness of, of the genders or sexes. But really, this is a look at masculinity. What does the Bible have to tell us about masculinity? Not, not what culture says, 
But what does the Bible tell us about what it means to be a man? That's a complicated question, right? Just like David's complicated, yes, it means he's strong and he's brave and he's a leader. But it also means he's a poet. And he could turn on a dime and say, I, I, I've done this thing, I am the man. Or as Nathan says, you are the man. And then David immediately says, I have sinned. He had compassion, he wept openly, he was, uh, had a wide range of emotion. And so we're gonna learn from David, he's gonna be our main character this quarter as we study together. And we're gonna, we're gonna explore that complexity. Um, I've subtitled the class, Discovering True Masculinity from the Life of David. But we're not gonna really study David's life in the, in the course of this class. So what we're gonna do today, in about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, is we're gonna tell David's story, okay? That's all I'm gonna do is we're just gonna go through the story of David. Who was he, what did he do? Uh, what was his life characterized by? And then we'll make a couple of quick points at the end and then the sermon will be yours. I think it's gonna be really short, but I don't know, because I'm not a preacher. Um, so we'll find out together. Um, this was our scripture reading, and when you look at this, this is, this is occurring, we're gonna start at the end of David's life with this scripture. This comes from 1 Kings uh, chapter two. And as David is sitting on his deathbed, these are some of his last words, he turns to Solomon, his son and the person that's going to succeed him as Israel's king. And he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I know what's coming. He doesn't fear it. He doesn't act like he's scared. But he knows what's coming. And what is the admonition that he leaves him with? Look at this. Be strong and show yourself a man. Show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walking in his ways. What's it mean to be a man? He tells us. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies. Um, walk before me in faithfulness. David knew what it meant to be a man. But it's not what we think of, I think, frequently. Be strong and therefore show yourself to be a man. That's what David was, as flawed as he was, and that's what we're going to challenge ourselves to be um, over the course of this quarter. We men are going to be pushing uh, to try to get better, and we, you know, we ask the women, as you guys are uh, both in our class and then doing some studies of your own, to push us in that way, right? I guarantee we don't have the internal motivation, but you know, with, with the whip that you crack, we, we just might get there. Um, uh, but you, you can influence us for good here. So we're going we're gonna to do a few things today. We're going to learn from King David. We're going to ask who he was, okay? We're going to tell his story. We're going to ask the question, and we've kind of already alluded to it, but what is our relationship with King David? How should we view him? How should we learn from him when, spoiler alert, he's an adulterer and a murderer and a liar, and he, his family falls out from under him, basically? I mean, he literally has treason from his son. Like, he has to run out of the capital city on foot because his kingdom is being taken over from him by this disobedient son. What's our relationship with him? David, it says in Acts, served his generation in his time. What does that mean? What does that mean and what can we learn from that? And then finally, what does it mean to be a, man's after God, a man after God's own heart? Okay, so that's our, that's our outline, that's our plan today. Um, and we will kind of go from there, okay? Again, if you're visiting with us, thanks for being here. Let's tell this story together, okay? 
So the story and the man. Who was King David? Okay? We're going to... Uh, this is a little bit of an adventure for me because we're going to do this in a narrative fashion. I'm going to kind of tell you the story uh, as we move through this together. So David was known by many titles. We've talked about that a little bit already. He, ready. he was a conqueror. He was the pious man. He was the psalmist. He was a sweet singer and a liar player. Um, he was a murderer, detail, adulterer. He had a broken house with rebellious children. He was wise, he was foolish, he was measured, and he was impulsive. Kind of sounds like us, right? I like that from the outset. It's like, okay, I can relate to some of that. I've got that in there. Murder or not, I'm not a murderer. Um, We can all relate to that, right? We've all got brokenness in us. And most importantly, he was a man after God's own heart. This is King David. This is who he was. So he was born in Bethlehem about 1,000 years or 900 years before the time of Christ, Okay. And he was not born into this prestigious position, okay? When Saul's kingdom was falling out from under him, King David, King David was out in the fields as a young boy shepherding a flock. When Samuel came to anoint the next king, God said, go to Jesse's house. You're going to find the king there. They they bring the first son in, tall, good looking, strong. They said, oh, this must be it. God said, nope, not that one. Number two, nope. Number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, nope. Is there nobody else, Samuel said? Well, there's the youngest. He's out in the field, but you don't want him. He's the runt. What did Samuel say? That's my guy. That's the one. This is the person who would be king uh, of God's nation. And so his ascension to the throne began. Saul and David first met, actually, when Saul was troubled. You remember that he had this troubled spirit about him. And so some of his advisors said, hey, we know, to to calm down your troubled spirit, we know this sweet heart player, he will just, he will put a soothing environment. He he will be like your massage music, you know, that they play. Um, You know, to calm you down. Little did Saul know that he was bringing in his successor, okay, to, to learn from him. While David was still a young man, we have one of my favorite stories and everybody's favorite stories from the kid. What did David do? David and Goliath, right? Everybody loves the story of David and Goliath. So the Philistines were in the valley, and this giant of a man looks down on Israel, you know, almost 10 feet tall, you know, and just mocks them, curses them, makes fun of them. And there was no, um, there was no courage in those people. They looked at him and they said, we're defeated before we start. We can't do this. Goliath, with his words roaring down like thunder, here's what he would say. Why should you come out to battle? I am the Philistine champion and you are just servants. You're dogs. Choose one of your men and let him come down against me. If he overcomes me and kills me, we'll be your slaves. You can hear them mocking, right? But if I best him, then you will be our slaves. Nobody would fight him. They wouldn't do it. So you take a little teenage boy without a spear or armor, and what's he go get? Only a little boy David and only a battling brook, only a little boy David and five smooth stones he took, right? Um, One little stone went into the sling, and the sling went 
Round and round, round and round and round and round and round and round and round. One little stone went up, up, up. Goliath came tumbling down, right? We know the story. It was, in a sense, David's biggest accomplishment to date. But in another, he was totally unsurprised. You remember what he said? He said, the battle is the Lord's. He wasn't scared. He wasn't scared. He, he didn't see a giant too big to fight. He saw a giant too big to miss. Like, look at this big old oaf. I can hit him from a mile away. Down he, hit, down he came. David was a hero. As David and Jonathan's, as David and Saul's stories became more and more intertwined, David met a person named Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son and the heir to Saul's throne. Well, normally when you have David, who's been anointed king, okay, of the nature of the nation, and Saul's son, who would also be king, how do you think that relationship would be? Strained? Contentious? Controversial? And yet, through all of that, they became fast friends. David loved him as his own soul, it said. The bond between the two proved itself time and time again. Able to cut through all of the politics, all of the drama, David was a friend to, to Jonathan, even through the most difficult of times. That level of friendship is impressive. Impressive. And one that I think most of us would struggle to, to maintain. As David began to rise, Saul's jealousy intensified. It became more and more uh, present every day that David was gaining in power and Saul was losing his strength and power. And so Saul, one day, in a fit of rage, threw a spear at David to kill him. And David fled. He fled into the, into the uh, kind of the, the wilderness. He lived in caves. It's probably about a 10-year period that he was in exile. Think about that. Ten years, he was on the run from a king. On two occasions, he had the opportunity to kill Saul. He could have put an end to it, and yet he didn't. He was loyal. Think about that degree of loyalty. David would fight battles, and the people increasingly began to support him. Saul has his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Saul was envious. He was frustrated. He knew that God was with David and was not with him. The service that David had offered to Saul became familiarity. It led to opportunity. But now it was conflict. It started over playing harp for the king. And now it was just nothing more than conflict. And yet, through all of this, David gained in stature. It says uh, in 2 Samuel 19, verse 14, it says that he swayed the hearts of men. David was a leader. He'd gone from a little boy, you know, leading only sheep, to kind of a teenager fighting a giant by himself, to now having the loyalty of men. He swayed the hearts of men. But he did that by a quiet um, leadership that was done by example, not out of force. As the conflict with the Philistines continued, there was a day in battle 
where Saul and Jonathan were kind of ambushed. David's enemy and the heir to the throne that he had been promised were killed in this battle. What would your response be? <sighs> Maybe a little relief. He'd been on the run for 10 years. What's David's response? In that moment, he was still on the run. He mourned the death of Saul. You know what he did? He actually put pen to paper and wrote a lament for Saul. A lament for his friend, his lifelong friend. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, great warriors. They were stronger than lions. Jonathan lies slain in, on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary. How the mighty have fallen. I find that degree of loyalty truly impressive. You don't get the sense that he was angry or upset with these people or with Saul who had you know, been so ugly to him, quite frankly. And yet that seems to be who David was. And, and with this, he led. He expanded the borders of the kingdom. Jerusalem, or, or uh, the nation of Israel uh, became increasingly um, secure in the area. Its borders expanded. And it marked the high period, the high time of Israel's history. It's never been replicated. Think about that. This was it. This was the peak. And yet, at, the, at that, that moment of um, when everything seemed to be right, things are going well, David has weakness. He has weakness. He's not immune to pride. It happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, and then he looked down and saw from the roof a beautiful woman bathing. So David sent messengers to her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. She returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she said, I'm pregnant. The greatest king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the author of the Psalms, writer of the songbook of God's people, sent a man to die so he could sleep with his wife. That's a fall from grace. God was displeased. He was so displeased. He was angry. Frustrated. You, you can almost hear God, uh, hear God's audible exhale, his sigh saying, what are you doing? And so he sends Nathan to him, where he tells the story of the man with the only one sheep, and the great king takes the sheep from the one man and David David is incensed how could this be and in that moment thou art the man David says I have sinned his sin had separated from God but he was penitent he was contrite he wasn't proud any longer and then he wrote from Psalm 51 created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. In that moment, that critical moment in his life, his story is defined by penitence. It's defined by a turn back to God. And yet, there was consequences to be paid. 
There were consequences. Treason and conflict from within. Absalom, the heir to be, long locks, good looks, big muscles, creates a, uh, a mutiny of sorts, an uprising from within, so that David has to run out of his city, literally, on foot. He has to break away to get out of the city because they were coming to kill him. And yet, in that moment, he doesn't go on the offensive. He just retreats, understanding that that, in part, is due to his own, uh, his own sin. And, of course, as we know, Absalom does not survive that. David returns to power, but not without tremendous heartache. Not without tremendous heartache. And as David heard that his son uh, was dead, he was heartbroken. Heartbroken. His kingdom would never be the same because of his sin. As the end of David's life approached, David wanted to build God's house. He said, God, I've, I've done all these things. I've been a warrior for you. Um, I, I have enlarged the borders of your kingdom. We're at a place of relative peace. Let me build your house. And God said, with your dysfunctional health, with the blood on your hands, it will not be you. It will be your son. That would be Solomon's task. And yet, through all of this, David remained. He was still a man after God's own heart. And at the end of his life, kind of where we started our story, what does he pass on to Jonathan, or uh, to uh, Solomon? He says, I'm about to go the way of the earth. Be strong, show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies. Pay close attention to your way. Walk before him in faithfulness with all your heart and your soul. That's David's story. Is it messed up in a few spots? Yeah, it is. Does it have a happy ending? Kind of. Kind of. The sword doesn't depart from his house. There's consequences for his sin. So, I'll ask you the question, if that's his story, and we've got these, you know, 20 some odd chapters about King David, what should our relationship be with King David? What can we learn from him? Yeah, Greg, when we were talking about Joseph, he said, Joseph's my hero. He's the one guy who's about, about whom nothing bad is said. There's bad stuff said about David. Like, there is. So what can we learn from King David? What's our relationship with him? This is a real, real question. What do you guys take away from the story of David? What to do, what not to do, right? There's a little bit of both. There's a little bit of both. <clears throat> what else? Yeah, th- the, think about the desires and how those things, um, the implications of those things, right? Greg? Boom. I love that one. Yeah. David, think about the range that he showed. One of the things I love about David in comparison to myself, I think, is I, I like to kind of keep my emotions kind of in a narrow range. I don't like my lows to be all that low. And so I'll guard against that with my, let, let my highs get too out of control because the next bad thing might happen. I work in an ICU. People are going to die. Like it's, I can't be too excited because the next one's coming. But you're right, he, he recovered. He recovered. 
Um, he was all the way down here, all the way up here, and yet he could always, um, uh, through with God's help, find, recover. Go ahead. To be considered somebody after God's own heart does not mean you're perfect. Love that. To be considered somebody after God's own heart does not mean you are perfect. Does not mean you are perfect. If we didn't have the failures in David's life, think about, think about it like this. If we did not have the failures in David's life, and it just said David was a man's af- man after God's own heart, but there were no failures documented, how would we interpret that? What, what was the conversation we would be having? It's unachievable. I can't do that. I can't do that. But you know what? David was a homewrecker, a murderer, a liar, a failed father. That we can kind of relate to some of us, right? And even if we've never done those specific things, we've done some other stuff. We see ourselves in David. David should be learned from, not revered, like put up on a, on a statue as though he's un- inaccessible. He is accessible. That's the point. We can learn from him because of who he is, because of his highs, because of his lows. Both are okay. You know, the answer here, I would say it's complicated, right? That's like the ultimate millennial thing to say. It's complicated. It is complicated. Our relationship with King David is complicated. He was good and he was bad. He was holy and he was worldly. Um, He was a friend, a poet, a warrior, a lover of God, a lover of women. Um, He had a sense of integrity and he blew it up. He had a sense of loyalty to a friend, and he murdered another man. When confronted with his sin, he immediately confessed, and yet he showed periods of stubbornness too. He was a leader in a quiet way, seemingly. us might have. You know, this um, kind of an epitaph, you know, that we put at the end of our life. This is a pretty good one. He served the purpose of God in his own generation. So I want to ask you, what was the purpose of God for David in that generation? To lead his people. Good. I think part of the answer is to show us the full range. In addition to having his story, what else did he leave us? The book of Psalms, his prayers, his frustrations, his periods of joy, his wrestling with what's going on, his encountering his own imperfection. 
create in me a new heart. Start over, God. Renew a steadfast spirit from within me. I'm broken to my core. Start over. How many of us have ever wanted to start over? Yeah. I think if we're, if we're not being, if we don't, don't answer yes to that, we're not being totally honest. Because that's part of the human experience. When we confront our sin, the starting over should be the outgrowth. He served his generation in his time. I think part of the way that he served that is he showed us what it is to be human, what it is to be a man. From its highs to its lows, like Greg said, And all along the way, he recorded his truths for us in the form of his psalms. Last, and then the sermon will be yours. See, it's short. It's pretty short, right? Um, So the last question I want to ask, and this is kind of where we started. Also said of David, as we know, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Who will do all my will? It's pretty, that's pretty high praise. I mean, I, I can't think of much else that you could say that would be higher than that. Um, so I'll ask the question of you all. What, what does it mean to you to hear the phrase, David was a man after God's heart? He was a man after God's heart. What does that mean? Yeah, so the the ability to kind of pivot away from the thing that was wrong and turn back towards God is certainly part of that attribute, right? Being able to repent, being able to say, I am wrong about this. I I will ask this of the men, because we're talking about this in our men's class. How many men are good apologizers? Women, how many of your husbands are good apologizers? (laughs) Well, Christy, Christy, way to go, Stephen. Way to go. Uh, That's good. I, I heard through the grapevine that it was a poor apology that led to that leg being bummed, but I don't know. Um, but, right, so none, none of us are very good turning back. Go ahead, Greg. I was just going to say, I, I'm after his own heart. It's like this value principle of trying to do what God wants us to do. Yeah. Just on trying. Yeah, it, it, the... the the sense, yeah, I get that. I, I like that. The sense within him, his homing beacon was always on God, even if it got messed up occasionally. He's triangulating towards God. Um, he never fully gets so far away that he can't find his way back. Um, maybe it's another way to say that. Good. A man after God's own heart. We're going to explore this uh, this quarter in our in our men's class out here. But I, to me. Being a man after God's own heart is the essence of who David was, kind of like Greg just said. It didn't mean he was perfect. It didn't mean he was even close. But it means that his spirit, the spirit that embodied him, was one that God was willing to claim. He says, you're mine. Broken as you are, sinful and flawed as you are, There's something about you that makes me want you. As we've talked about, that's not unattainable for us. It can be said of us 
Kelly, you're a woman after God's heart. Stephen, you're a man after God's heart. That is attainable for us. And yet, I, think, I don't think we believe that sometimes. I think a lot of times I view my life and I'm like, if, if I, if, like my moniker was Daniel, he tried hard sometimes, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, yeah, about right. Let's not settle for that. Let's be men and women about whom would be said, you know what? In his generation, he did what God wanted. In his generation, he was a man after God's heart. Not perfect, not even close, but God claims him. That's the sermon. So our quarter this quarter, just to kind of bring this uh, to a close, in the auditorium class, we're going to be looking at character traits of David, okay? And we're going to take a trait a week, basically, or a trait a class period, and dive into that. What does it mean to be, you know, a good friend like he was to Jonathan? What does it mean to be prayerful? What does it mean to be in touch with your artistic side? Oh my goodness, we're going to talk about that? Yes, we are. What does it mean um, to be brave? as God intends, a fully orbed man. We're going to talk about all those things and some more. Our women are going to be in here with us some, and then they're also going to break out and do some individual case studies as well on really amazing characters from, our, from, our scripture, from the scripture. Not perfect, but amazing. And we're going to learn from, from these people uh, and these characters and the traits that they displayed. King David was... Um, and is so important, both because of who he is, but also because of who he foreshadowed, which is the one who not only was after God's own heart, but actually had God's heart in him, being Christ. Christ sits on David's throne, kind of the fulfillment of everything that David promised, and um, yet couldn't quite fulfill, right? Um, and it, and, you know, because of that, we have this direct line from David to Jesus. We didn't talk a lot about today or today about what it means to become a Christian. That wasn't really the point of today's sermon, but this is an opportunity in a time where we offer that invitation, um, where we say, you know, being a Christian is the single greatest decision that any of us can make because it puts us in relationship and it gives us the chance, as flawed as we may be, to have a relationship with God to be after his own heart, willing to turn back to him. So this is a time where we offer that, in, that invitation. Additionally, um, if, if you, we can pray for you or you have any needs that uh, we can try to um, address for you, we'd, we, now is a time where we invite you to, to make those known as well. Um, with that, we will offer the invitation. If it's convenient for you, let's stand up. We'll have a, an invitation song here. Uh, I have decided to follow Jesus, and if we can help you in any way, please come forward while together we stand and we sing. I have decided.